Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm Zoe. And I'm Alona. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we're talking all about childcare again. So the reason we're talking about this again today is that it seems that the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, and the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, listen to the New Statesman podcast. That is the only... Uh, that is the only conclusion that I can draw from the fact that we did a podcast all about childcare and how important it was to fix Britain's broken childcare system and how it was an economic issue and a social issue and what we could learn from other countries. And we had a really long discussion about that. And then next thing you know, it's announced that as a sort of centrepiece, as a rabbit being pulled out of the budget hat, Jeremy Hunt is going to give all parents free childcare so that they can all get back to work, which is amazing. Right? Right, Alona? Right? It seems pretty amazing. It's certainly amazing that the podcast made such a big difference to, to the lives of all Britons, definitely. You heard it here first. Yes, it's, this has been, as we discussed on our, we did our special on childcare, this has become an increasingly politicized issue in the last six months to a year. If you re- remember back to the autumn statement that Jeremy Hunt gave, he didn't mention the word childcare once. He didn't mention early years once. And lo and behold, it's March 2023. And the most the most talked about bit of policy ahead of the budget is a major childcare reform. And anybody who was listening on the day waiting to hear when is this childcare thing going to come in, he left it all the way to the end under his E for education. So it was very, is it actually, has everything that's been trailed, not really, is it not going to turn up? Has this all just been, just talk, but there it was. And the government had trailed, there were reports in the Guardian ahead of the budget talking about the fact that the Chancellor was going to extend those 30 free hours, it's very difficult to say, from three to four-year-olds to one and two-year-olds. And that again was published just ahead of the budget. And yeah, that's what was there. The details are that now, not for immediately, as it's going to be staggered, it's going to be fully introduced by September 2025. Parents, working parents with kids aged one and two will be eligible for 30 free hours of childcare like they are now for kids who are aged three and four. He also announced that he is has an ambition for schools to provide wraparound care, so primary schools to have care available in the morning and in the afternoon. And there's a £289 million budget for a pilot that will end at the end of 2025. So from 2026, there's no money 
for it, but there's that pilot up until then. People on universal credit, for the first time, they're going to be able to get payments for childcare upfront and not have to claim them back, which is a big change for people on universal credit because that's really excluded them from getting childcare in the past. There's also some funding for the sector in general to expand the 33 hours. The government is going to provide around £4 billion by 2027 to 28. And they're providing other bits of money as well this year and next year to to make up, to raise the hourly funding rate paid for childcare providers. They've also announced that they're going to pay £600 in a pilot incentive scheme for childminders joining the profession, £1,200 if they join through an agency. Though, and also the other bit of the policy was that the government is going to loosen childcare ratio. So at the moment in, in England, it's I think one adult to four kids is going to be okay. possible to have one to five, which apparently is what happens in Scotland anyway. And it's not, it's optional. So settings don't need to use it. And I think the big thing to say up front, first of all, is it's amazing, like you said, that this is this was even in the budget. It's an amazing shift. The fact that now fund, childcare will be funded for kids aged one and two, you can't take that away once you give that as policy. So that's a really big shift. A big problem with with childcare in this country was this gap in funding from maternity leave to the age of three. And a lot of a lot of organisations were working behind the scenes with Tory backbenchers to pressure the Chancellor to get this stuff in the budget. So there's a lot of congratulations all around for the organisations that have been working really hard to get this policy through. There are lots and lots of problems with it, though, partly that the funding just doesn't add up. So the CBI has, I think, estimated that it would cost £8.9 billion to do this, but the funding is around £4 billion. There are lots of questions around at the moment because the government, it's slightly complicated, but because the government underpays the subsidy on the 33 hours to childcare settings, to make up that shortfall, what nurseries and child childcare settings have done is to take more expensive fees from parents of one and two-year-olds and use that to cover it. But if the one and two-year-olds are also getting the 33 hours and those will also probably be underfunded, where do they make up that shortfall? If you've got lots more kids coming in and you've had 4,000 settings closing over the past year in a serious work workforce crisis, where are you going to, to actually make sure that you have enough supply. Stella Creasy, who we interviewed on this podcast about this, has likened it to help to buy, saying that basically it's going to push up demand without increasing supply and that this is going to be a real problem. Wow, there's a huge amount there. Elena, thanks for taking us through all the details. As you said, lots of different parts of this plan, lots of different ways to try and fill the gap and, and solve this crisis that is keeping so many people out of work. We should have we should put this in context in the sense that this budget overall, not just the childcare announcements, but this budget was all about getting people back to work. Jeremy Hunt trying to tackle what he calls economic inactivity. So people who are of working age but aren't working for a variety of reasons, one of the big ones being because they are caring for children or family members and they can't fit their work around that. So that's the kind of context for making all these changes. And you can see that in the focus on people in all kinds of different situations. So people who have children up to the age of two, for example, people who are on universal credit, as you said, and also parents of school-aged kids with wraparound care too. Obviously, there are problems with it and we can go into the problems in a bit more detail in a moment. But Zoe, like, this was Labour's idea, right? Have the Conservatives just stolen Labour's big election pitch to try and be the party of the family, the party of parents in the next election? Are they feeling a bit like, hang on, 
you you took our policy. So I, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? You can either say, yes, they've stolen Labour's election pitch, and that must be very annoying for Labour. Or you can say they were hearing the public's concern and the issue with childcare, and they've responded accordingly. I'm sure Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak would say, now that we have better than predicted growth and we've got more money to play around with, of course, childcare was going to be one of our priorities. So there's kind of two ways they can frame it. I think this has shown how difficult it is to be the opposition party in the run-up to an election. You want to assure the public that you have a significant plan and that you have a significant offering that's different enough from the government. But obviously, if your plan is too good or it's too popular, it makes sense for the government to steal it. So you have to be cautious, but you also have to be radical. And it's a really difficult line to tread. But I do think we're in, you know, we can be a bit too negative about the impact this will have on Labour. This was obviously one of Labour's kind of big policies. And in a way, it's a shame that they're not going to get the credit for it. But at the same time, the Labour now have a blueprint of what the Tories are offering. And this gives them the opportunity to beef up their own offering on the back of it. So what we're having now is a really public conversation about childcare. We have the Treasury's fully costed it so we can see how much everything will cost. And Labour can now respond accordingly. So they can look at areas where people are saying, oh, this doesn't work. Or the number of things alone I just talked about earlier. And Labour can now respond to that. So in a way, this might actually be quite beneficial for Labour because they can basically use it as a kind of feedback mechanism to strengthen their own offering. And it could also give Labour the opportunity, you know, when we discussed last time, the pledges from Labour on this so far have not been really overwhelming. They've been fairly vague. So Labour now puts itself, itself in a position where, like you say, Zoe, it can come up with a much better offer and maybe a kind of bolder vision that is actually properly costed for, ch- for childcare. And you know, the imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Clearly, this is such a clear vote winner that, you know, you, and it's so necessary that it would have been much worse if the government had just ignored the calls for this change in this budget. Yeah, and I think that, that the fact is, a year ago, parents were talking about this, but no one in politics was. It was seen, and we talked about this on the podcast, very much like a, a an issue for individual parents, particularly individual mothers, and the idea that this was a sort of systemic structural problem that the state should step in to try and help with. If you try to make that point, you would basically get told you shouldn't have had kids if you can't afford them. So I think we shouldn't underestimate the change in narrative and the change in tone. I just want to read a tweet from the organisation and charity Pregnant Then Screwed, which we talked about on the last podcast, and obviously has interviewed their founder, Jolie Braley. And and they tweeted, specifics aside today, so the budget was remarkable. When we started campaigning on childcare, we were repeatedly told that neither politicians nor the public had any interest in this issue. But mothers were furious and together we made noise so deafening that today it was the top line of the Chancellor's spring budget. Tonight we are raising a glass to every mother who wrote to their MP, filled in our surveys, and marched in the street to demand change because it blooming well worked. I would say it, it partly worked, but we'll come on to that. This is just the beginning. There's so much more to do to ensure our childcare system is affordable, good quality, and accessible to all children. But right now, we are celebrating mothers, their optimism, their fury, and their collective power. And the reason I wanted to read that is because, like, as soon as the announcement was made, there were people very justifiably looking at the detail and picking holes in it. And there are some major flaws with what's been announced. For a start, it's not starting until 
next year and there are lots of parents now who are really struggling who will miss out because their child will be above above the age by the time it actually kicks in and they need help now there's also a real question about nursery places as Alona said and how they are going nurseries are going to fund themselves and survive when they lose the income of charging extra fees because the government fees are just too low and simply how we get more money and investment in a sector that is so important because it's it's early years education all of these are really really important questions but at the same time just the fact that was a headline issue i think is worth mentioning or is worth maybe not celebrating although pregnant and screwed are celebrating but worth kind of marking as a real change in political sentiment this idea that childcare is a form of infrastructure and is necessary for a functioning economy in the same way that good roads and good rail infrastructure and good skills education and all the rest of it is as well. Am I being too optimistic about it? Somebody, somebody no, bring me down on that. I don't think so, Rachel. I think you're right. It's it's a really profound change. Practically, it's a profound change, even though there are lots of holes in, in all the things that we talked about. But the fact that you now know that in, in this country, having had a child and having got whatever maternity pay you got, you now also will have subsidies from the age of nine months or whatever it is. Um, up to your kid going to school. That's huge. And it's very clear that those groups of mostly women who organized and didn't let didn't let any of the any politicians off the hook have managed to make a real change. That's a that's a very empowering moment. And the fact that we're not just, you know, when they were talking about childcare, Jeremy Hunt did mention mothers, but it wasn't in, a, in the context of a back to work budget, in the context of economic growth. It wasn't Talk, it wasn't in the context of childcare being this trivial issue that women need to worry about. I think that's huge. I agree with you. And childcare, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? When you said it just now, it just seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Of course, you can't get to work if you can't get on the train. If you're going to the office, that is, and you're not sitting at home on a computer, you can't get on the train. If you, no one can look after you, you can't participate in the economy. It just seems so obvious, but it, and it's a real paradigm shift. It's amazing. And I, and we've really, what's really incredible about this is we've all watched this happen in real time over the past year. It's so recent and we're seeing it have results this week. It's an amazing moment. I think as well, there's, there's obviously the kind of economic argument for helping mothers and fathers as well, but it obviously affects mothers more back to work which is obviously we've got these gaps in the workforce. We need to fill them. Well, this was a budget focused on economic growth. So it makes a lot of sense. But there's also a political reason for this as well. And I think we discussed this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago about women voters. So women voters have been turning away from the Conservatives for a number of years now, since about 2015. And now women are much more likely to vote Labour than they are Conservative. And I think this kind of shows the not only the economic argument for childcare, but I think it also shows that the Tories may be quite worried about the impact they're having on female voters. And I do think this, to some extent, is an attempt to get women back to voting Conservative, back to thinking that the Conservatives represent their interests. After the break, we'll discuss how the Tory party responded to Jeremy Hunt's announcement. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. It's available for both iOS and Android. Just search New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. Subscribe to The New Statesman from just £1 a week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. 
We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Weymouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Zoe, in, like, in, in your experience and your reporting in the lobby, to what extent do you think that will work? Because from outside the lobby, it looks as though the Conservative approach to wooing back female voters up until now has been very much based in basically fueling the culture wars to getting as as much into the sort of trans rights issue as they possibly can, looking at the idea that women should vote conservative because they are under threat from various forms of wokeness or that that's been the attitude, right, to scare women back into the Conservative Party rather than actually offering them anything tangible. Do you think we've got a year to 18 months before the next election? This is a trend that's been going on for years. Do you think this will be enough? Do you think it will be successful? For anyone who's interested in this, I definitely recommend going back and listening to the podcast we did about this, because we do look at some of these issues in in quite a lot of detail. But it's a really interesting question. And I think it's really important to talk about when we're talking about childcare, because childcare is just one side of the women out of the workforce coin. There are a number of women who are also leaving the workforce due to a lack of menopause support in the workplace. There's also a number of older women who are leaving the workforce because they have caring responsibilities, possibly for older parents or older spouses. And then, of course, there are other issues that women want dealing with in society today. We only have to know what's been going on with the Met Police, with the Everyone's Invited scandal and sexual harassment in the workplace. There are many things that are focusing women's attention right now. I also think it's worth looking at what's actually going on inside the Conservative Party. As you said, Rachel, we've seen this defence of their opposition to the gender recognition reform couched in these terms of we're protecting female-only spaces and it's, it's a women's rights issue. But actually, when you look at their track record, it doesn't really stand up so much on that. And I think also you've got quite vo- some quite vocal women in the Conservative Party, for example, Miriam Cates, who has been quite anti this stuff to some extent. So she's questioned some of the basis for this childcare movement, talking about how children need parents who are at home looking after them. And there definitely seems to be a slight return of this kind of what is the role of the woman. And I don't always think that's going to, I don't think for the Conservatives to have people like that in the party is necessarily going to bolster their popularity across the board with women. So I think there's a few things going on here. And although childcare is a really positive step forward and it's going to make a lot of women happy, there are other problems with Conservative Party policy towards women, I think, that might well put women off voting for them. 
And Labour really cleverly has pitched themselves, right? Annalisa Dodds did that interview recently where she was saying, we're trying we're trying to come up with a big kind of policy package for mi- women in mid, talking about childcare, menopause support, like you mentioned. So Labour, more women are voting or tending to vote for Labour anyway, and they're seeing how they can pitch themselves to that cohort. And the Conservatives are trying to catch up, knowing that they're losing women. I just wanted to to add to what Miriam Cates had said on the childcare policy. So she spoke to GB News after the budget and she basically said that the four billion childcare handout doesn't provide choice. Many mothers do want to go back to work, but many mothers don't. And they want to look after their own children, particularly babies under two. And I very much question if this is the right policy for children and families. So I think it's interesting. We do see a kind of divergence within the party that not everyone thinks this is a positive offering for mothers or women and I do think there will be many women out there who agree with that and that's absolutely fine lots of people have different ideas of the family and motherhood but I think it's interesting to see there's this the conservatives aren't necessarily all aligned on this issue themselves. No that's a really good point and the strain of social conservatism within the Tory party, as articulated by Miriam Cates there, is a really important trend and is something that I think we're going to come back and consider in a future podcast. But for now, Jeremy Hunt making a stand on childcare, something to, if not celebrate, at least feel proud of because he obviously got the idea from our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Alona and Zoe, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks, Rachel. Rachel. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my colleagues, Zoe Grunewald and Alona Ferber. We'll be back on Thursday discussing the week in politics. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. We're produced by Adrian Bradley. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.